The following podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. He came, he opened the door, and he was screaming, come on, help me. Somebody shot my mother and father. And everyone ran out of the bar, and that was it. They all took off. No, I had to stay. I was tending more. They all jumped in his car and took off. On November 13, 1974, the regular patrons at Henry's Bar in Amityville, New York, enjoyed their drinks and chatter as any other bar patron would. Around 6.30 p.m., a man ran into the bar screaming, You got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. You are listening to Unexplained Realms, the podcast. I'm your host, Anne, joined by co-host and producer, Eddie V. Welcome. Join us while we revisit the DeFeo family murders that occurred in their Amityville home. Amityville is a village located in the town of Babylon. The town of Babylon resides in the county of Suffolk, New York. In such a small village such as Amityville, not much is reported. Though, one house within this tiny community became the subject of several murders and possible hunting. One One Twelve Ocean Avenue was built in 1927. The beautiful home consisted of three stories, five bedrooms, three and a half bathrooms, and a basement. There is nothing to report in the years before the DeFeo family moved in. No strange occurrences or hauntings. While the house had no major issues, the DeFeo family had some very dark secrets. Ronald Joseph DeFeo Sr. was born to Rocco and Antoinette DeFeo on November 16, 1930. Ronald Sr. was described as a very suave and cool kind of guy when he met future wife, Louise Marie Briconte. Louise was born to Michael and Angela Briconte on November 3rd, 1931. With her natural beauty, she desired a career in modeling. Though, after meeting Ronald Sr., those plans changed quickly as the two shared a whirlwind romance that led them to marriage. Louise's family disapproved of the marriage, and Louise cut all ties with her family until their first child was born. Ronald Jr. was born on September 26, 1951, and was often referred to as Butch. 
As the firstborn child and son, his father piled more responsibility on him. And at times, his discipline of Butch crossed the boundaries of typical discipline and into cruelty. Ronald Sr. was hot and cold with his son, sometimes hugging him and other times throwing him across the room. Growing up, Butch DeFeo had it hard because Butch was the firstborn and a boy. His father expected more from him. And Ronald Sr. was not afraid to discipline Butch in the cruelest fashion. Louise's brother Michael Jr. had witnessed two-year-old Butch be slammed into a wall by his father, injuring his head. During Butch's childhood, he was picked on and teased at school primarily due to his weight. Butch had become extremely overweight. In his teen years, he began using amphetamines heavily. Butch was not an only child. He had siblings. Don Teresa DeFeo, born on July 29, 1956. Allison Louise DeFeo, born on August 16, 1961. And Mark Gregory DeFeo, born on September 4, 1962. After Mark was born, Louise left Ronald Sr. No one knows the exact reason why. But Ronald Sr. was desperate to get her back. He wrote a song called The Real Thing and asked jazz artist Joe Williams to record the song in 1963. Joe agreed and included the song on his album, One is a Lonesome Number. This gesture of love won Louise back, and by October 24th of 1965, the couple's third son, John Matthew DeFeo, was born. With a growing family, more space was needed. This would be when the DeFeo family moved out of their Brooklyn apartment to the south shore of Long Island to the small community of Amityville. With some help from Louise's family, the couple bought the beautiful home on 1112 Ocean Avenue. The home had two quarter moon-shaped windows facing out to the street. They looked like the eyes of the home. In the front yard, a sign was posted. It read, High Hopes. And behind it were statues of children, praying, 
and a Saint Joseph holding a baby Jesus. The home sat in a strange way, facing sideways. This placed the front door facing the long driveway. The home had a 237-foot boathouse that sat at the end of the long driveway. The house sat on Amityville Creek. Early on in the home, Ronald Sr. wanted his family portraits to be life-size and displayed in their beautiful new home. Once again, Louise's family assisted financially with this project. The life-size portraits encased in gold frames were hung on the wall of the staircase between the first and second floors. By the year 1974, things had gone horribly wrong in the DeFeo home. On November 13, 1974, the patrons of Henry's Bar witnessed Ronald DeFeo Jr., or Butch, scream that his parents had been shot. This little tavern was located on the corner of Ocean Avenue and Merrick Road, not far from 1112 Ocean Avenue. Butch's best friend, Bobby Kelsky, was out of work and in the bar that day. Bobby immediately ran to Butch, who had now fallen to his knees and was crying hysterically. Butch was screaming to Bobby, you got to help me, someone has shot my mother and father. Bobby's response was, are you sure they're not asleep? Butch had gotten to his feet and asked Bobby and a few others from the bar to come to the house with him. Bobby, John Altieri, Joey Yeswaite, Al Saxton, and William Scordamalia, the owner of the bar, all jumped into Butch's 1970 Blue Buick Electra 225. with Bobby at the steering wheel and Butch in the back seat. Frantically driving to get to the DeFeo residence one block away, they arrived in seconds. Bobby jumped out to run into the home and others stated someone could still be inside, but Bobby didn't care. He opened the unlocked door and entered the DeFeo home the only sound in the home was the barking from the dog. Crossing the marble foyer into the dining room that contained red velvet textured wallpaper. The dining room table hung a grand chandelier and open textbook sat on the table nearby some wilting roses. The DeFeo family had quite expensive tastes. Throughout the home, you may find paintings, statues, satin-covered chairs. While looking around downstairs, they find nothing significant. 
Bobby leads the five men up the stairs and he is very familiar with the home as he had visited many times over the years to visit with Butch. When reaching the second floor, the men were overpowered by a strong odor of death. Arriving at the master bedroom, Bobby turns the light on and finds Ronald DeFeo Sr., 43, and his wife Louise, 42. Ronald Sr. has dried blood coming out of a wound. He lay face down in only a pair of blue boxers. Louise's wounds couldn't be seen at this time as she was hiding under a blanket. Bobby began to feel ill and the other men helped him back downstairs. John Altieri remained on the second floor to look around, entering a bedroom with wallpaper that displayed eagles and cannons. He saw items that seemingly belonged to young boys and upon further inspection, he found the bodies of two young boys face down just as their parents had been found. both with what appeared to be gunshot wounds to their backs. Authorities were called and it was determined that Ronald Jr. shot his parents each twice in the back and shot all siblings once each in the back. Further physical evidence indicated that Louise and daughter Allison were awake during their death. Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s trial began on October 14, 1975. During the trial, his defense lawyer, William Weber, used an insanity plea, claiming he killed his family in self-defense because the voices told him the family was plotting against him. DeFeo's psychiatrist supported the insanity plea Though, the prosecution's psychiatrist stated that DeFeo was heavy into drugs, often using LSD and heroin, and was aware of his actions at the time. During the police investigation and trial, a few inconsistencies were brought forward. All six victims were face down with no sign of a struggle. DeFeo used a 35 caliber lever-action Marlin 336C rifle for the murders. The investigation concluded that the rifle did not have any sound suppressor. There was also no evidence that the family had been sedated. In Butch's original confession, he stated he drugged his family, though toxicology proved that to be untrue. Neighbors stated they never heard any gunshots at the time, but had heard the dog barking. Ronald DeFeo Jr. was found guilty of six counts of second-degree murder, and on December 4, 1975, he was sentenced to six sentences of 25 years to life. It was known to most that Butch and his father had a terrible relationship but no one is sure that it was enough motive to kill. 
Some speculate that maybe he intended to collect the life insurance for his parents. During the time Butch was incarcerated, he interviewed for many networks and media outlets. During a 1986 interview, he stated his sister Dawn killed her father and his mother was distraught and killed all of the siblings. He then stated he had no choice but to kill his mother then, claiming that he took the blame because he did not want his mother to look bad to her father. Butch also went on to say that his father's uncle was part of a major crime family and indicating that this had something to do with the murders. Later changing his story once again and stating he was married to a woman in New Jersey when his mother called him to break up a fight between Don and their father. There were so many different stories Thus far, no one truly knows what Butch's motives were. Ronald DeFeo Jr., or to some, Butch, died on March 12, 2021, while serving his sentence. The DeFeo home was sold about 13 months after the murders to the Lutz family. The Lutz family only resided in the home for 28 days, claiming the home was possessed and extremely haunted. This spawned the movie Amityville. Though there isn't any actual evidence showing the house to be haunted, in the book and the movie, there are references to a man named John Ketchum, who lived in the area but in the 17th century. Claims are made that he practiced some type of dark divination, causing the home to be possessed. There's no actual proof of this man in that area being a real person. The Lutz family claimed there were odd smells, sounds, and chilling air in the home, and also claimed that a priest came to bless the home and was slapped by an invisible hand. Was the home at 1112 Ocean Avenue possessed or haunted? Was Butch suffering from a mental illness, possession, or something evil, or a drug-induced rage? We may never really know. And we will just leave it to the realms of the unexplained. Now, unless our listeners have been living under a rock, I think it's safe to say that everyone is familiar with this story, thanks to the Amityville horror movie, and the fact that Ronald DeFeo Jr., a.k.a. Butch, recently died in prison. That said, I would like to welcome once again to the show, our good friend who we'll call Psych Mike. Mike! So glad to see you. Pleasure to be back with you Thank both. Thank you. So, um... I don't know. What do you think? Amityville Horror House is haunted or <laughs> what's going on? What do you think? You know, I do think that uh, there are 
there's so much that we don't know about the unknown and I think there there possibly are people that are more receptive mm -hmm. to to uh, occurrences outside of our own normal dimensions um, but as far as uh, uh, Butch mm -hmm. goes I do think that just from what I studied up on it uh, yeah he was under the influence of hallucinogenics of uh, being LSD and uh, uh, but there are some peculiars with this, with this right, case. Right, very peculiar things. Um, you know, what I didn't talk about in this story was, you know, the, the aspect with the, the sister that was kind of the oldest sister, Dawn. And, you know, I try to stay when I'm writing these types of stories. I try to stay away from rumors or speculation. I try to just kind of go with the facts. So, but it did, it was very much in the back of my mind. Like, oh my gosh, could she have been involved? Um, the way that they found the bodies, the way that things went on. I'm not sure that it was a one person job, but that's where we're going to talk about uh, Butch and, and the rest of these children. They were abused. They were being yes, abused. Yes. So could they have suffered some kind of a mental break and said, we're killing mom and dad? Absolutely. I mean, From a psychological point of view, we, we all have a breaking point. You and I have a breaking point. Right. Uh, we all do. Right. And uh, obviously, the, now, and it, it, it was witnessed how uh, Mr. DeFeo Sr., was uh, very abusive to uh, Butch, to mm -hmm. his son, and also it was uh, uh, witnessed by uh, Butch's friends how uh, Mr. DeFeo would actually go after uh, uh, Butch's mother, his mm -hmm. wife, and how she was fearful right. of him. And, and there's, there's a weird spot in this story. You know, I couldn't get any facts on this, so I just kind of wrote it open-ended. She actually left her husband at one time and I mean he wrote this song and he won her back but no one really talks about why she left him and when she came back they had another child and you know it goes on from there but I firmly believe there might have been extreme abuse in this house absolutely and mind you too this happened back I mean the, the actual murders themselves occurred 70s. in back in 1974 that's right. almost 50 years ago right. now and we're talking about a generation, you know, we're we're the Jerry Springer generation. I mean, everything, <laughs> right, yeah. for better or for worse, everything it's is out in the open right? now. Which, I mean, but back everything. then, things were not discussed. No, and you, you, you know, stayed. Even, even well through the 80s, you know, when you suffered from childhood abuse or, you know, any kind of bullying or whatever, you didn't talk about no. it. It wasn't no. like what we hear now. And you know. you know, when things started opening up, I'm going to say probably about the about the 90s. The mm -hmm. things we started like, well, this happened. I mean, things mm -hmm. really, uh, in that sense, things got better. Where I mean, matters from abuse or, you know, any type of trauma, it should be brought to the open. Right. I mean, especially as a behavioral health nurse, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I believe in that fully. Um, I do. Uh, uh, I do think that obviously the the two oldest children they su were subjugated to. Uh, uh, great abuse by the uh, by the father, and uh, uh, they just they snapped. And I agree. And I, I think with uh, you know Butch, you know Ronnie Jr. Uh, he um, 
self-medicating, you know, drugs, yeah. LSD. And, you know, of course, in the 70s, that was kind of all the rage. Yes. It's what everybody was doing anyway. Everybody was doing something. Right. And I don't think that anybody really looked at it as self-medicating. But what we know now is that's it exactly was. what you were doing. That's what you're doing when you're doing it. When you're having any right. type of, you know, whether it's uh, any, any type of mental disorder, people are going to medicate or self-medicate. And what, okay, if, unless they're going to be prescribed. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. under the care of a physician and they're going to get the proper treatment. Right. I mean, people are going to do what makes them feel good. And yeah. in, in Butch's case, mm-hmm. he'd been subjugated. He'd been beat down mm-hmm. psychologically and physically, obviously. Right. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, just from what we studied on it, yeah, he was, uh, he did, he was a regular user of LSD and other hallucinogenics. Right. So and let me ask you this, though. I, I was very curious, and I, I don't fully understand the mindset of... So he's been arrested. He's in. He's been sentenced. He's in prison. Now, of course, he goes forward to the media. He does all these interviews. And in every interview, he changes his story. Like, one time he said that he indicated an uncle or a relative of his dad being part of a crime family and that there was some element there. Maybe, maybe not. But then he also blamed, there was one whole story where he blamed his sister Dawn who killed the father and then, and then because that happened, apparently the mother killed the siblings and then he shot the mother. Just every story was different what is going on after you've been tried and convicted and you're literally serving six life life sentences why would you change the story like it's done it's over just okay i did it move on serve my time there's a couple different schools of thought here Mm -hmm. not i'm not trying to play devil's advocate but but now you gotta figure one um butch had been beat down Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, probably suffering from depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. Um, he was known as the wild child in the neighborhood. Right. Um, uh, substance abuser. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, he was under the influence of an illicit substance, more than likely being LSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you push having been traumatized. What? What? But they know about psychological trauma now. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't, it wasn't, like, like we were just saying, things right. were not discussed back then. Right. Things were, were, you know, what happened so, in the home stayed in right. the home. So when he makes up all these different stories after the fact, is it is that still a mental illness? Now, he's in prison. Yeah. He's not under the influence. So what is, is is he just, is it self-preservation? Is It, it could be, that, like, could, that could definitely I can't, be playing, I, I, you know, he's, he's, I mean, look, you've lost your freedom. I mean, part of my experience, I have worked in corrections. Right. And you see some of these souls who they've lost their freedom. Mm-hmm. And especially you're talking about somebody who's their their life is over. You're, right. You're, Basically, you are yeah. now, mm-hmm. you know, you're now a guest of the, of the penal correctional system. system. Correctional yeah, right, system. system. Right. And, you know, um, uh, that could do a number on you right there by itself. And it, it, it can be absolutely mm-hmm. be self-preservation. Okay. Is it possible, like, he's in prison all these years. I think that it had to have been around 86 or, or further out that he started doing these interviews and really, like, making up these stories, you know? So 
self-preservation yes but could he also have been sober now like he's it's been years since he's done drugs maybe is it possible he didn't even remember what happened that night and he's trying to formulate well it had to be this i couldn't have possibly done that so there's one point that needs to be made and Mm -hmm. i don't care whether you're in new york or florida or california Mm -hmm. or anywhere in the world drugs are just as available in true, prison than they true. are on the streets. So it could be still under he the could influence still be, there. He could still be under the influence. And plus two, when you're, you know, when you're doing, uh, say you're doing a long stretch of time, I and mean, you do, you can become institutionalized. True, very uh, true. Very, very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on, uh, maybe he might have been in mm-hmm. a, uh, a shoe unit where he didn't, he, he they didn't have him he wasn't able to socialization right yeah he was so i i i know i hope our listeners will forgive me but i feel really truly like in my heart that butch was just trying to make some money because at this yeah, point absolutely. What, at he's this, already institutionalized right, at this point what i've read is that michael Bergante senior which was his paternal grand or no maternal, maternal grandfather um, he basically said, you're, you're done. I'm cutting you off. So basically no one's giving him any money in there. And the only way he was able to make money is to tell these outlandish tales all the way yeah. around because he's getting paid to do that. I mean, so think if you, that's just my thought. You would but, be surprised, you know, even if it's pennies on the dollar, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised. What it could do I, for I, him I in discovered there, yeah. thing, while, while my time working for for the uh, for the as a as a nurse with corrections, I, there were things I discovered that I wish I didn't know. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure. But I'm it's sure, a yeah. whole. I could tell you this: yeah. it's a whole different world, and uh, you know, uh, you, you, you see people get to their primal. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? No, it's I just, totally it, get it, it, it's, yeah. it's sad to see in yeah. a lot of ways, but. Uh, yeah, it's a whole different world. Yeah. So, you know, wow. you're talking about, you know, uh, obviously there's some antisocial traits right mm-hmm. there. And, uh, y- you know, uh, uh, obviously, I mean, I-, I wouldn't put it beyond him to to fabricate. Possibly, also, yeah. There's you know, lots of things going on there. Well, Mike, it's been amazing to always, always to have you on the show and to just be in your presence. It's always amazing. Always a privilege, yes. always a pleasure. Yes. Okay. Look forward to uh, seeing you guys again yes, soon. Yes, yes, yes. We'll keep bringing you back. Um, okay. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your day. You too, my sister. <laughs> um, hey, wow. Uh, so it's always great to hear Mike's professional you know, insight. Some of our listeners may not know, um, I'm a realtor by day, and I was able to research this from a totally different angle, going in and really pulling the records from this house. Uh, very, very strange house the way it was built and the way it looks so yeah thank you for listening to unexplained realms the podcast if you're new you can visit us at unexplainedrealms.com facebook instagram twitter youtube and tiktok and don't forget to smash those subscribe like and follow buttons And also be sure to enable notifications on Spotify so you don't miss any episodes. Support for this podcast comes from Anchor.fm and V Media Studios. And that's a wrap. (laughs) I'm hungry.